There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Your weekend home for all things sports. This is The Grill on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live from Barasti. Very good afternoon. Welcome along to the Grill live from Barasti, where the game is always on. What a show we've got for you in store between now and six o'clock. Football aplenty. There really is early kickoffs across the globe. English Premier League, it's Liverpool against Newcastle. That one getting off at 3.30. English Championship, Fulham taking on West Brom. In La Liga, we've got one underway already. It's Real Madrid taking on Levante. Up in Scotland, it's Hamilton taking on Celtic. And at 5 p.m., it's a biggie over in Italy. It is Fiorentina taking on the reigning champions, Juventus. As I say, that one off from 5 p.m. Locally, we've got the Arabian Gulf League Super Cup Sharjah taking on Shabab Al-Akhli. That one kicking off at 8.30. We'll continue to build up to that one as we go this afternoon. What else have we got? Well, there is the build-up, the continued build-up to the Rugby World Cup. This time next week, we'll, we will be in the midst of Super Saturday. Australia versus Fiji, France versus Argentina, New Zealand versus South Africa. In the meantime, Tyson Fury, he's going up against the little-known Otto Wallen over in Las Vegas a little later this evening. We've got exclusive interviews with Rude Hulett, with Mika Richards as well. There's all the very latest from the third day of the fifth Ashes Test between England and Australia. We're going to be live over to the Oval to talk to our very own Richard Dean in about 40 minutes' time. If all of that wasn't enough, there's AFL playoffs, NRL playoffs, and, of course, there's the small matter of the NFL. It is The Grill. We're live with you through until 6 o'clock. Keep it locked right here, Dubai Eye 103.8. This is The Grill on Dubai Eye 103.8. No Tom Uckert today. He is off doing better things. He may well join us between now and 6 o'clock. So you've got myself, Chris McCarty, in the hot seat, and I'm joined to day by I think I can fair to say no disrespect to anyone else that we bring in but this is the true A team along to my right wherever I go he comes along for the ride as well it is the one and only Bobby Greenfield I'm pretty sure you say that whoever is alongside you Chris yes, but I'll take it nonetheless yes good afternoon everyone good afternoon to both yourself Chris McCarty and to our other esteemed cohorts yes, indeed completing the triumvirate today it is the one and only Mark Archer Mark Archer, very good afternoon to you, my friend. Afternoon, uh, Chris, Robbie, and listeners. Yeah, it's been a while since you've had you guys. I uh, hope you've had good summers. It's been a, it's been a while since I caught up with both of you, but uh, it's still hot and humid here in Dubai, of course. But if you're looking for something to do today, get on down to Brasti. All the screens are fired up. Good atmosphere down here, and there's plenty of sport to uh, consume um, down at Brasti. Can I just say a little bit of housekeeping yes. before we get involved in the sport? If you are doing what I did about 20 minutes ago and heading to Barasti, do not make the mistake that I made trying to get in to the normal Barasti entrance. It is closed. I had to drive past it. I had to go to a construction site. I had to do a U-turn. <laughs> I had to sit in five traffic lights. I finally got back round to the Le Meridian Hotel, Mina Siahi, and I finally parked. Yes. And that's why I walked in here about 30 seconds ago, Chris. <laughs> Very good, Robert. Yes, if you are popping on down, and this is the place to catch all your live sport over the course of this afternoon. 20-plus big screens dotted throughout the venue and so much sport. It is quite remarkable. We've got early kickoffs aplenty from a club football standpoint but as we've already alluded to as well day three of that fifth and final ashes test between England and Australia at the Oval that is on on one of the many screens down here as well so if you love your cricket if you love your football then pop on down I want to start if I may we are just and you've got the little counter in front of you Mark Archer five days 20 hours 34 minutes and 12 seconds away 
from the Rugby World Cup. Uh, close, Chris, but uh, no cigar. Five days, 12 hours, 21 minutes from the kickoff. And it all gets underway in Japan at Tokyo Stadium next Friday when we see the host Japan take on Russia in the first match of the Rugby World Cup. And then, looking ahead, it's, it's a fantastic couple of days next weekend. If you're a rugby fan or a sports fan, get book your place on the sofa down here at Barasti because I can tell you next Saturday and I'll tell you the timings all quite early and yeah. quite nice timings for the UAE 8.45am Australia will take on Fiji that will be a match to, to look forward to 11.45 France Argentina one of those teams are going to have to probably battle behind England for that second spot to get through that group. That's a cracker of a match. Both teams have shown a bit of form. Argentina played together in the Super Rugby competition pretty much their same squad. France have been an improved team in camp for a long time, which they never do for the Six Nations. They've shown a bit of form before the World Cup as well. France, Argentina, 11 45. Then 145, I think it's the game of the first yeah. round. It's the All Blacks, two times defending champions, back to back champions, looking for a three peak, taking on South Africa, two times rugby world champions themselves. That match is a pivotal match in this World Cup and I'll tell you why as we get on with the show then looking ahead to Sunday Italy Namibia Ireland Scotland that's a big match as well Huge. and England Tonga so a lot of the big guns a lot of the teams that are favoured to go a long way in the tournament taking, having their matches on next Saturday and Sunday so really looking forward to it five days 12 hours and about 15 minutes away from that <laughs> kickoff now Christopher well worth tuning into the all, all script tomorrow from five o'clock because well, we've got a competition to end all competition, Oh, Robert. yeah, it is. It's incredible. We're going to send someone to the Rugby World Cup. We certainly are, yes. Quarterfinal matches? Quarterfinal match. We've got flights courtesy of Emirates. We've got accommodation over in Japan as well. And tickets, two to be exact, to the quarterfinal involving Pool B winners, which should on paper be New Zealand, let's be frank, against the runners-up of Pool A. Now, I'm crossing everything when I say probably likely to be Scotland, although you were just saying off-air that it Don't could well be... Japan either. Yeah, it could be Japan. Ireland, top pool A. Scotland, probably, maybe, if Japan have a bit of a wobble. Scotland to finish runner-up. So it's tickets, essentially. It could well be. I know sport isn't played on paper, but if it is, if it goes to form, it's New Zealand against Scotland. you just got to think, though, that if they're going to stumble, if they're going to trip up, it could be in that first game against South Africa when they're cold. They're going in, first game of the tournament. And, of course, as you said, Mark... That puts the cat amongst the pigeons if they do lose that one. I tell you what, the draw gets really, really spicy and different permutations of, of who the match is. I was actually looking at the draw before I came into the show. I marked my cards, pool A, pool B, pool C, pool D. I sort of highlighted who I think would, would, would come through from them. Then looked at my quarterfinals, looked at my semifinals and looked at how the final, I, in my opinion, based on form, based on history, based on experience, based on previous World Cups, how I think it's all coming together. But we can, we can get into the crux of that during the show. But I think, and I'll put it out there now, that match on next Saturday between New Zealand and South Africa will be the final of the Rugby World Cup on Ooh. November the 2nd as well. That's the way I see it happening. So that match throws up so many different options. And I, and I just have looked at other teams, how they're going to progress, who they play in their pool, who they'll play in a potential quarterfinal, who are the sem potential semi-final matchups? Because let's be honest, there's probably only really three or four teams that can win the World Cup. It's the most even World Cup we've seen for years yeah. in terms of nothing between the top four to five teams. But realistically, boys, three or four teams are, are going to win the World Cup. We know that going into the, into the event. And you can kind of work your way through it. And I just, I've got a sneaky feel, feeling New Zealand, South Africa are just finding their form. New Zealand, you know, have, haven't lost a match at a Rugby World Cup for for. For, for three editions now. <laughs> South Africa have found, some, found a form and we're playing on neutral ground. So, so much of the rugby we see now, Six Nations matches or Southern Hemisphere matches, home and away is so important. Who's going to be the best team playing in the, in the heat and humidity in Japan? That will go along. Pitches are supposed to be hard and fast. Who's going to be the fittest teams? Who's going to score the most tries? Who's going to break down these, these, these 
you know, these really tight defences that have been emerging. Hard, fast grounds will suit teams like South Africa and New Zealand who, who play on that type of surface. So let, let's wait and see. The All Blacks are a different beast, but it calls to mind 1995, Australia, South Africa in the first round. Australia with the big favourites, South Africa with a home team. And it was Michael Liners, Australia, against Francois Pinar, South Africa, and they shocked them. They beat them easily, and they went all the way on to win the World Cup. I know the All Blacks are a different proposition because I know they're going for a three-peat, but if South Africa can spring an upset, that might just spur them on to do something historic. We were talking this week in the office, and I'm just going to leave that there, Rob, because I think it's wishful <laughs> thinking from you, in all honesty. I think the All Blacks draw a few parallels. are still the team to beat. But answer me this question, Arch. You are much more au fait with rugby than Robbie and I. Although we like rugby, you're a man that has a kind of deep recess, a deep knowledge of it. We were talking in the studio this past week about greats. We always come back to it. Greats of individual sports and different sports. And we came to rugby, and we kind of all looked at one another, who is seen universally amongst the rugby fraternity as your greatest ever? As New Zealand's greatest ever or no. the greatest ever in Great, rugby? Greatest player in oh. rugby history. Because if you think, and, and you're absolutely right, in football, Pele, Maradona, Messi, Ronaldo, you can throw a blanket over those four. I'm, I'm, Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, Rafa Nadal. The, in, yeah, I mean, you can look at statistics and try and break down the numbers and then, and then draw some parallels there. For me... <laughs> I, I would say, I mean, I think it's one of two players. I, I think Jonah Lomu, for the sense that he moved the needle as an iconic global rugby player more than any other player's ever done. He took the game global. Jo Jonah Lomu was known around the world for what he did when he burst on the scene in, in the early 90s and that 95 World Cup and what he did there. He, he was an iconic player, yet he never won anything. He didn't win a World Cup. Is that the best ever World Cup? 95. Um, I thought it was a great World Cup. I mean, it had it had it had a bit of everything. It had the drama, it had the, it had, the it had the final, it had the drop goal. Depends who you're talking to. You've talked to South Africans, then definitely. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember it. I remember yeah, the I World do. Cup well. Um, hard, fast pitches in South Africa. Great crowds. Only three years out of um, you know sort of the readmission to, to world sport. Uh, the Mandela story, Francois Pina. They it's made the most a movie about it. It's the most significant World Cup, I think. The, the, I think for, there, was a, so there, was a bigger, there was a bigger narrative to the than, than the rugby result with that World Cup, and that, that, that's why we all remember it, don't we? Yeah. We remember the significance of that event as a, as a global event that was bigger than the game, and, you know. And, and we, we talk about that. Then you look about you talking about great rugby world play. It's, it's tough to go past Richie McCaw statistically, the most capped player of all time, the only player to have won two World Cups as captain. Um, his Hundreds. record: 147 caps. Uh, uh, two World Cup winning winning performances yeah. as captain. You can't statistically you can't top that. No, no one's ever done that. So, but again, is. you look at the greatest individual players. Then you look at someone like a Dan Carter. You know, the top point scorer of all time. One of the, you know again won multiple World Cups. Won everything he did domestically. Can Canterbury Crusaders. But you can. It's so hard to pinpoint players to define great. Great player. Great results. Great career. Great leader. Great leader. I mean, again, I, I, and I'm a little bit biased. So there's some wonderful players. You can, you can look at the Northern Hemisphere and look at Brian O'Driscoll. You can, you can look at um, every country. You know, David Campese. Look at David Campese uh, in Australia. You can go through country by country and probably identify their greatest ever players, and, and it's very hard to argue for and against many of them, I think. We'll throw it out there. 4 0 Get involved today, if you may. 
It is the grill. We're looking back at some of the big stories of the week. We're keeping you abreast of all the live sport as well. We're keeping an eye on the cricket. We're going to be over to the Oval in about half an hour's time. Richard Dean is over there. I think he's there with his old boy. So we're going to be speaking to Richard Dean to get a flavour of what the atmosphere is like because there was a little zest, there was a little pep in England's step yesterday. Of course, it's pride to play for. They want to ensure that this long wait, and it's stretching back 18 years now for the last time that Australia won a series in England. They do, and they're, they're actually looking pretty good right now. If we if we check in on what's going on there at the Oval, England are leading by 134 runs. They are 65 for one in their second innings. This is a, a strange uh, turn of events because Australia actually won the toss and put England into bat, clearly thinking that they could get them out cheaply. They made 294. Joss Butler produced a fine performance late on in that innings to actually extend England's first inning score. And then Australia, having been going very well, actually collapsed on the tail end. Steve Smith was out ultimately for, I think he was 80 in the end. Yeah, His Steve, lowest score of the series. Steve Smith was out. And absolutely <laughs> ridiculous that he was actually, he was bowled by Chris Wokes. And England have started their second innings pretty well. On a pitch that is now three days old, they are 65 for one. And I can tell you that it's Rory Burns who's lost his wicket. He was bold, caught Tim Payne, bold Nathan Lyon for 20. Joe Denley's on 26. Joe Root is on 10. And England going along nicely at 67 for one. 4001, join the conversation with us this afternoon. And we're just going to put it out there. Greatest rugby player, Mark Archer. The proud Kiwi that he is has put forward three Kiwis, Jonah Lumu, Richie McCaw and Dan Carter, which I must say, I kind of agree with you. If you've got any other names, get them in 4001 on that front. Maybe explain as well. Give us some reasoning behind your thoughts. When we come back, team news, early kickoff in the English Premier League. It is a belter. It is a game that traditionally has provided goals. It's Liverpool against Newcastle. Robbie's got the team news for that in just a moment. Get involved today. Get your thoughts into us on 4001. You're listening to The Grill live down here at Barat where the game is, of course, always on. Unbelievable goal! This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. Just gone 20 past three, your Saturday afternoon, you are indeed listening to The Grill with myself, Chris McCarty, joined today by Robbie Greenfield and by Mark Archer. The early kickoff in the English Premier League is about 10 minutes away. It is Liverpool taking on Newcastle at Anfield. And Robbie, you've got an eye on the teams, needless to say, Newcastle, Shutting up shop somewhat. Yes, the bank of five with four <laughs> in midfield and just one Joe Linton up top. We're going to take them first. So they've got Martin Dubravka in goal. Emil Krafi, Fabian Shah, Jamal Asselis, uh, Paul Demet, Jetro Willems across the back. Christian Atsu, Isaac Hayden, John Joe Shelby. He's the creative force in that midfield. And Miguel Almiron playing behind Joe Linton. And Liverpool, the big news for them is no Roberto Firmino, Divock Origi. If you've got him in your fantasy team, he's cheap at five million, <laughs> I think he is. So you might be rubbing your hands together because he does start for Jurgen Klopp's side. Adrian in place of Alisson in goal. Of course, Alisson's still injured and Jurgen Klopp hopeful that he will be back in action very soon. Trent Alexander-Arnold, he's in my team. Joel Matip, Virgil van Dijk and Andy Robertson across the back four. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Fabinho and Wijnaldum are the midfield three. And then the trio up front, Mo Salah, Sadio Mane in the, through the centre and Divock Origi on the side. And I've got to say, um, uh, Chris McCarty, Trent Alexander-Arnold, He's going to be a points machine today. I've got a funny feeling he will be as well. Liverpool looking to extend this club record 13 successive wins in the English Premier League. They've had, well, no real rival 
this season because they have, they're the only team with a 100% record in the English Premier League. Four games, four victories. Man City currently second last season's champions on 10 points, three wins and a draw from them for the opening four games. Nothing but a Liverpool victory you can foresee today. I mean, yeah, on paper, absolutely. It's a complete no-brainer. Liverpool should, as soon as they get the breakthrough, yeah. that will change the complexion of the game. It's that first goal. Newcastle will be hell-bent on making sure they don't concede it. As soon as Liverpool do get that first goal, um, then I think we can expect to see a couple more. You've got to predict a, a comfortable Liverpool victory, but we've seen shocks plenty of times in the Premier League, Chris. It wouldn't be completely out of character. And I think Steve Bruce, the Newcastle manager, does have a decent record at Anfield. That was pointed out to him in his press conference. He, I think, is going there to contain. I think he made that pretty clear. He's very complimentary of today's opponents. But, uh, yeah, you have to expect Liverpool will run riot in this one. I appreciate it's only four games down, Mark Archer. An awful long way to go. We're not even out of September, not even halfway through September, for goodness sake. But Liverpool, to you, do they have the look of champions? I, I think it's a two-horse race already. I, yeah. think, I think you look at the, the contenders to the, to the Premier League crown and you see Manchester City with their depth of squad, with their options are plenty. They can lose players and then they get replaced by other internationals. The ability to go in January and buy replacements if required. And I, I see them just ticking along. And they, they haven't seemed to have broken into a sweat yet, but they're winning games 3-0 yeah. and 4-0 and scoring so goals for fun. And we're seeing the likes of Kevin De Bruyne come back after injury plague season last season, who's just starting to pick up momentum. Had a great international break last weekend. Looked wonderful in his international games. And they've got guys that like coming back into it. Liverpool, yes, I mean, they've continued the, the amazing consistency they had last year. Can they maintain it? Can, are the likes of all this football that the likes of Mane's been playing, Mo Salah with the African yeah. Nations Cup, is it going to catch up with them at some stage? Are they, are they, do they have the strength of depth? If one of the two of those players get injury to keep it keep it up, I know City do. I know they've answered the questions I've had of them over recent years. Do Liverpool have it in them to go in week in week out, particularly when Champions League comes around? If they answer that question to me and they do have that depth, and we're seeing other players sort of step up and, and actually do quite well for Liverpool. Divock Origi being one, yeah, and guys that we kind of written off as their squad players, they sort of never really been impressed or really sort of come come of age but seem to have been coming forward and fitted into the system there Klopp's got them motivated there seem to be the competitiveness for places now within that yep. Liverpool squad and it's bringing the better out of it so look it's two horse race I think it's too tough to call between those two horses at this stage but anyone that finishes ahead of Manchester City will win the Premier League this year <laughs> okay, I'll tell you that much Going to ask you chaps a question best centre back in Premier League history Chris Ooh, McCarty good question best centre half first name that comes to your mind are you Ferdinand I was going Mark to say Archer. the same. I was going to say Novendra Vidic. Of course. Two, two Manchester United fans alongside me. Both of them say <laughs> Rio Ferdinand and one of them says maybe Nemanja uh, Vidic. Vidic. The Vidic. Well, let's see what Vincent Company had to say when he was asked that question. You know what? I go back to, to, to plays that really uh, impressed me when I played against them as central defenders. And I think I would bring it back to... Oh, God, wait, hold on. Is it... I, I would bring it back to Virgil van Dijk. And, and it's... It's it's an it's a weird one because he he hasn't been on the scene for as long as these names we mentioned you know John Terry Rio Ferdinand these guys were were there for a long long time but the the, the signs he showed uh, in this in his last few years um, just make it so obvious that if he would have been at the top top level before that he would have been already further as well and from what I've seen in terms of having an impact on the team. And a defender is never about himself, it's about his communication with other guys and how you make your team more solid. And the Liverpool 
before Van Dijk and the one after him, it's a completely different setup, and and I'll give him that one uh, because of that. I know you guys are going to take issue with the comments there from Vincent Company, but what he's saying is Van Dijk has transformed a team like no other central defender has done in Premier League history. You can't be the best Premier League centre back of all time from one good season. You just can't because no. longevity is exactly is absolutely which is, paramount. Which is why what he's seeing is utter nonsense. But do you at least give him that? Do you at least give him the point that Again, Van Dijk? Rob has transformed Liverpool. He has transformed Liverpool, but Saul Campbell transfer, transformed Arsenal's defence when he joined all those moons ago from Tottenham on the Bosman free transfer. He was a transformative figure. Nemanja Vidic, I am of the belief, transformed Manchester United. I actually think he transformed Rio Ferdinand into the best centre-half in Premier League history. He helped on Rio's journey to do that. I think Virgil van Dijk, listen, we're talking about Virgil van Dijk being the best defender in Premier League history. Last season they finished second. As good as he was, it's one season. No, we're talking about Nemanja Vidic and Rio Ferdinand. They were part of the defence that still, to this day, holds the record, I think, 13 successive games with clean sheets alongside Patrice Evra, I think it was Wes Brown, Gary Neville dovetailing it right back with Edwin van der Sar behind him. You know, that's the kind of level that we're looking at for a defender where go and win titles, go and become a bigger part. And yes, OK, Liverpool fans listening will say, hold on a second, Chris, we won the Champions League. But that's Virgil, that's Vincent Company saying best defender in Premier League let, history. Let, let, OK, let's leave achievements on the side. Let's leave longevity on the side for one second. What about in terms quality. of, in terms of qualities? Oh, right, in he's terms got it all. Right. Has, has he got better qualities as a defender than Rio Ferdinand had? Is his distribution better? Is his tackling better? Is his position better? Is his uh, ability on the ball better? Is he a more skillful player? Rio was good. I think, again, I always think we, can, we, we tend to only remember what happened yesterday, these days in, in today's society. We, we, we can't actually, memories don't seem to last long. Listen, Virgil, there is no doubt Virgil has got the lot. He, he's a beast. He, he loves the kind of rough and tumble that a centre-half should do. He, he's, a, he's a bit of a cross, isn't he, Arch, between Vidic and Rio. He's not afraid to mix it. If you stick a big number nine on Virgil van Dijk, he'll mix it with him. With him. Whereas Man United with Rio and Nemanja, Rio would take the quick striker, Nemanja would be the rough and tumble. Nemanja's the one that loves to get into the trenches. Virgil's got a bit of both for me in that regard. Technically, Rob, I think he's as good as Rio, technically. You know, Virgil van Dijk, he's from the Dutch school through Groningen onto Celtic Southampton to Liverpool. Virgil van Dijk knows what he's doing with the football at his feet. There is no doubt about that. He reads the game as well as Rio reads the game, I feel. He's probably the one thing that he does more. Rio was, and even at United, susceptible to a mistake or two. Thus far, and it's only been a season, I haven't seen Virgil van Dijk make one mistake. I think the other factor is Virgil, there was, there was, a, there was a gaping hole in, in Liverpool in Jurgen Klopp's team. It was that centre-half. And when they brought in Virgil van Dijk, he made them so much better than they were. And I think with Manchester United, Manchester United of that, of that era was a better overall team. They mm. were winning more. They were winning Premier League season on season. And so Rio Ferdinand fitted into that system well with better players. Virgil van Dijk had to come and plug a massive gap in that Liverpool back four, and he's done so. He's, you know, he's come in and made, a, made them take the step up from where they were, which was... Yeah, battling away for a Premier League title or battling away in Europe and he's made them now European champions and he's made them a genuine contender for the Premier League crown so he's made a massive difference to that team I think United 
had a more settled back four or five players there. That helped that, Rio. That helped Rio, if that oh, makes fair. sense in that discussion. I mean, you look at the centre-halves, real, realistically, and I'd love to get our listeners' thoughts on this as well. If we look across Premier League history and we talk two world-class, true great centre-halves, Tony Adams, yeah. Saul Campbell, John Terry. Yep, Stam. Stam, again, longevity. I'd question longevity. What did he stay, two years? Three years, I think, Yap was at Old Trafford. Of course, he won the treble. But if I'm thinking truly standout, you're thinking Tony Adams, leader of that first yeah. Arsenal team yeah. under Arsene Wenger. You've got John Terry. You've got Saul Campbell, a member, of course, of the Invincibles. And again, consistency across a long period of time. You've got Rio. You've got Nemanja. You've got Vincent Company. You've got Ricardo Carvalho. And then you've got Van Dijk now emerging. I think they are the, the standouts for me. And again, if anyone else has got one, get it in on 4001. Those two at Chelsea, Carvalho and Terry, Adams and Campbell, Rio and, and Vidic, maybe Yap, Virgil and Vincent Company. They are your standout centre halves since the Premier League begun in 1993, for me. And then maybe other people will put other names. Sammy Hippie are good on his day. Stefan Henshaw's good on his day. Ledley King or Rolls Royce. If it wasn't for injuries, Ledley King would be getting a mention. He, for me, was one, a top, top centre-half. And in actual fact, Branislav. injuries. Branislav Ivanovic, right back, wasn't he? He was more of a right back. William Gallas. A lot of people might say, hold on a sec, Colo Torre, for a spell, was quality. But, again, if I'm looking top, top, I think you can throw a blanket over six or seven. And is Van Dijk now in that company? He is. There is no doubt he is. Because I think, and again, it's, it's been a season, so I'd, I'd, be, I'd honestly be tempted to have him low down on that list because we need to see Virgil win titles. We need Virgil performing like he's been performing over the course of two, three, four, five seasons. If he does that, then we'll come and have a conversation about Virgil van Dijk being the best centre-half in Premier League history. And even looking at this match today with Newcastle taking on Liverpool, you could even go back and make it probably put, a, put an argument forward for someone like Steve Bruce, who, who was a, a Premier League stalwart. He'd be eating alive now. Yeah, but we're not, yeah. <laughs> He'd be eating alive he now. But in the day, what, what, that team, the, 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 the back two of him and Pallister as well, was probably the, the, the best, at back at that, that time, was a dominant force in the Premier League, which which took United to a few titles back in the early 90s. But uh, as you say, today it's a different game. You know, it is. you can't compare the era. Let us know. Four zero zero one for you, Rob. Uh, um, can't get away with it. Uh, yeah, I mean, oh dear, oh dear. Premier League wise, you're going to see Terry, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of success. I don't think anyone's won more Premier League titles than John Terry. Am I wrong? No, you're wrong. Is it wrong. Rio Ferdinand? It's Rio. Rio's won five. And John Terry's won four. Yeah, I think so. But I want to give you Rio, goals update. Rio Ferdinand, yeah. I'll, 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 well, reluctantly agree. I'll reluctantly agree with you, simply because he, he does combine longevity, he combines achievement, and he combines everything on paper. And that's, that's the only reason. I can tell you that the game has kicked off. Virgil van Dijk has starting and is starting for Liverpool today. Two minutes old at Anfield. It is Liverpool nil, Newcastle nil. There have been goals in the other kickoffs, the early kickoffs. We'll start in Scotland. Celtic, no surprise here. They lead 32 minutes on the clock at New Douglas Park against Hamilton Academico. And it's James Forrest, the man who's been in rich vein of form over the course of the last couple of seasons. He has opened the scoring for Celtic. And Real Madrid, no surprise there. They lead Levante at the Bernabeu by a goal to nil. It was Danny Carvajal who made it. 
cut in on his left foot, cross came in, it was Karim Benzema with a header into the bottom corner for Real Madrid. So Real, they lead Levante, Celtic, they lead Hamilton, and I can tell you it's still Liverpool nil, Newcastle nil. We'll have goal updates as we go, plenty more for us to discuss as well. I know Robbie's quite keen to discuss the big fight over in Las Vegas a little later this evening. The Ashes, the day five, the third day of that fifth and final Ashes test, we'll give you an update on that as well. Plenty to look back on from the week as well. If you want to join the conversation, you can do so. 4001, stay with us. This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. Yeah, we're going to hear exclusively from Rude Hewlett in just a moment. I caught up with him oh, a week or so ago now. Plenty from Rude. Interesting stuff on Liverpool. You'll hear that in just a moment. Before we do that, though, let's give you a quick score update on this one. It is Liverpool taking on Newcastle. Six minutes on the clock. Clock, Rob's keeping an eye on it. Yeah, still nil-nil between these two. Newcastle have been pushing. Virgil van Dijk was called into action just a few seconds ago, but cool as you like, potentially the best Premier League centre-back of all time as he cleared the play, but it is new, um, Liverpool, of course, pushing forward, looking to find an opening. Newcastle defending deep, packing the box, and at the moment, Liverpool not having any luck opening them up. Yeah, six minutes gone then, it is Liverpool nil, Newcastle nil. Celtic, they still lead Hamilton by a goal to nil, and Real Madrid still lead, leading Levante by that one goal to nil. Karim Benzema on the score sheet. What of day three of this fifth and final Ashes test? We know the urn is heading back down under with the Aussie boys, but will England finish off this tasking testing and testing I think is the word I'm looking for little series by getting a victory Mark Archer you're keeping an eye on it oh we've got a goal we'll break away for just a moment we've got a goal at Anfield Robbie Greenfield over to you my friend well it is a goal for Newcastle quite incredibly just as I said that Liverpool were doing all the pushing it is Newcastle that have scored and I'm just trying to wait for it's the identity Jetro of the scorer Velens, the left back the Dutch left back on his right foot, on his weaker right foot, the former PSV Eindhoven man, the Dutch international. We watch a replay of this one now. And it's just a long, hopeful ball. They don't deal with it. Joe Matip and Trent Alexander-Arnold don't deal with it. Christian Atsu takes it down on his chest. He feeds it out to the left-hand side. And Velens, lovely skill, oh. drags it back onto his right. Befuddles, befoxes Trent Alexander-Arnold onto his weaker right foot. And then he just unleashes one into the far corner. What a goal this is. Unbelievable skill from the left back. And my goodness, you do not save them. Wow. You certainly do not. That went in like an absolute rocket. Beautiful little skill to beat Trent Alexander-Arnold. Oh. And he's fired one past Adrian. That has got to be one of the fastest shots I think oh. you're going to see all weekend. It has absolutely lasered into the top corner. And we've got... Okay, perhaps not a surprise on the cards just yet because there's only eight minutes on the clock, but certainly a lot of food for thought for Liverpool in this one. Newcastle lead through Willems, 1-0. Sorry, Arch. Art, uh, the Ashes, any excitement down there at the Oval? Well, excitement if you're an English fan because they're progressing well on day three of the fifth and final Ashes test at the Oval. As you rightly said, the urn is heading down under for Australia because they have a 2-1 lead in the series and uh, it will be on a plane with them. And maybe the Aussies are just thinking maybe we've got one foot on the plane already because uh, England, 83 for one in their second innings. It means they lead Australia by 152 runs, nine wickets remaining. The wicket to fall today was the left-handed opening batsman from Surrey. Rory Burns, caught behind by Tim Payne, bowled the, off the offspin of Nathan Lyon for 20. It's Joe Dentley, new father. Yesterday, he's 36 not out. Joe Roots at the crease, 18 not out. So England, 83 for one. It means they lead Australia by 152 runs, Nine wickets in hand. They'll be looking to battle day, get a lead of 300 plus, and then look to a turning wicket to try and dismiss uh, Australia and, and, and square the series at two all. This might sound like a silly question. I will ask it anyway. 
it is just the tests and then the Aussie boys head home. There's no T20s. I know sometimes with the Ashes series, they move in. Obviously, the World Cup, I can only assume there's no ODI series between the two. No, no limited over series yet. I think it's been a big summer of cricket in yeah. the UK. They've uh, had enough and it's been, it's been, it's been a great summer of cricket as well if you're a cricket fan. So, uh, you know, the Aussies will head uh, down under home for their, for their summer series yeah. um, and they'll be taking the, taking the uh, urn with them. What have you made of it, Arch? Because we've not caught up with you. Robbie and I have been talking at length over the course of the past four, five, six weeks about all things cricket, whether it be the World Cup and your boys. And I know we had you in studio to give us your thoughts on that. Still, England never won it, right? No one did. It was a tied match. <laughs> the tied, the tied, yeah, still great, great final. <laughs> it was a great final. But uh, talk to me about this Ashes. Yeah, it's been, it's been interesting, Ashes, because I think if you take Steve Smith, who's been phenomenal, who's been out of this world he's been superhuman he's done things that haven't been done in 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 in, in decades in terms of his performance you take him out of it and you've had two teams that have misfired and made lots of errors and have kind of blundered their way through the series but australia slightly hit steve Steve smith has scored 33 percent of australia's runs having missed a test and an innings He's missed three innings, right? Three innings. So, yeah, his, his, his series is phenomenal. Wow. He, he was dismissed yesterday for 80. That was his 10th consecutive 50 in a row against wow. Australia, which is a world record for any player against an individual team. He so, against England, that's 10 successive 50 50s, pluses yeah, against England. Which no, no player has ever done against a successive pl- a team before. Wow. 751 runs he scored in six innings. He's averaging 125. <laughs> and... He's um, he's missed three innings. He missed a test. He missed one innings with the concussion. And he missed a whole test match when he when he was stood down. So, if you take him out of the equation, it would have been a really really even series. But for me, he's been the difference. I think I think Australia have bowled better overall against England and, and their, their ability to take 20 wickets. I think Pat Cummings with 27 wickets in the series has been has been phenomenal, and Josh Hazelwood with 20 wickets. Those two bowlers have been better in partnership. For, for Australia against the England bowlers, but the emergence of Jofra Archer. I mean, he is a player, a player, a player for the ages as well. I mean, his six for sixty-two yesterday. He bowled twenty-four overs, um, and he's been a real find. Twenty-two wickets in the series, the second highest wicket taker. He didn't play the first Test match, so he's been phenomenal as well. And uh, he, he's a real bright spark for England now. The worry is that Jofra Archer, who plays franchise cricket, he's been. A, he was a star of the World Cup. Are they going to find a way of, because he's a young man, of finding some balance for him? But um, both teams are flawed. You know, both teams have really issues with the, with the batting. You know, apart from Rory Burns, who's done quite well, 100 in the first Test match, England have struggled with top order. Joe Root's wow. struggled a bit. Joe Denley hasn't really convinced. Jason Roy. Jason Roy is not, not the answer for England at, at, at the top order. And then you look at the Aussies. Harris, Bancroft, Warner have had terrible series. Uh, David Warner has barely got out of out of, out of so a score true. over ten. Yeah. So there's been lots of flaws covered up by the phenomenon of, of Steve Smith, and then England just haven't struggled to put the runs together. So I think look, it's a fair result. Um, Australia taking the Ashes back, but in some ways it's sort of been this, some of the standard of the series has been a little bit down, if that makes sense. I mean the Ben Stokes Test match at Edgbaston, that, that performance again once in a lifetime. Once we've seen two career performances from Ben Stokes the World Cup final and that innings against Australia is possibly arguably one of the three greatest test innings of all time bar none to do it under that pressure to carry a team to score 80 runs in that final innings and and go up through the gears when he had to to show the patience to score one of the slowest 50s of all time and then ramp it up like only he could and clear the boundary and with some ridiculous hitting and take England to that victory was phenomenal. Mm. So what a, what a summer Ben but Stokes. Fundamentally, it means story. nothing, though, because they've lost this yeah. series. 
It's meant nothing. And, and it will not eclipse, for that reason, it will not eclipse what Ian Botham did. They were all saying at the time, that's better than Botham. Well, I'm sorry, but because Ben Stokes' contribution across the five, five matches has not eclipsed Ian Botham's, just in isolation, all that is is a, a brilliant performance. It's arguably the best cricketing innings of all time. Oh, arguably the best cricketing innings of all time, Arch, but it won't eclipse what Ian Botham did in the 1981 Ashes, will it? Yeah. Because yeah. Ian Botham inspired victory in that series, and Ben Stokes has failed to do so. No, you did right, and I think Ben Stokes was the first one to come out, so the, for the next Test match, the fourth match, it's for nothing if yeah. we, don't, we don't go on and win it. So, you know, he, I think, but the redemption story, I mean, for me, the two, the two players of the summer is obviously Steve Smith and the redemption story of Ben Stokes. Stokes you mean, yeah. he, was a, he was a lucky young man not to be actually in prison. Um, and we know he missed the last Ashes series with his big incident you know, the, the Bristol, incident in Bristol. But what a summer he's had. I mean, arguably now the, the greatest pound-for-pound pound cricketer across all three formats, batting, bowling, fielding, is, is bar none Ben Stokes. Let's hear now from Steve Smith. He was asked about whether they was okay just to retain the Ashes or whether they wanted to actually go ahead and win it. And he was quizzed as well on a budding rivalry potentially with Joffrey Archer. Teams have come back and, and won from this margin before and, you know, we created another opportunity tonight and, um, you know, I think it's going to be pivotal for us to, to bowl really well with the new ball first thing in the morning. Ashes cricket, you've got to keep digging deep and, you know, we, I think everyone said it before this game, we didn't come here to retain the Ashes, we came here to try and win them. Um, so everyone's got to dig deep and give a little bit, little bit more and... You know, when you feel like that's enough, you've got to give a bit more and a bit more and just keep coming. So the boys will do that tomorrow, no doubt. Joffre Archer bowled well again today. Um, how much have you enjoyed your duel with him in this series? And do you think you'll look back on this series as the start of a great, potentially great batsman-bowler rivalry? Who knows? Um, when's the next Ashes series? I don't even know. Will I still be playing? I'm not sure. Um, who knows the answer to that? Um, we'll see um, but look he's, he's a quality performer um, we've, yeah, we've seen him come out and he's, he's got two fifers in four test matches I think that's correct um, and you know you, you don't get guys bowling 90 miles an hour growing on trees so um, and with a skill set like he's got um, you know so he's a terrific bowler and um, yeah, there's no doubt that he'll gain a lot of confidence from his first test series. Um, being an Ashes series, they're always huge, as we know. Um, and, of course, he's got a very bright future. Steve Smith, reluctant to give credit to someone who hasn't actually got him out. Joffre. Yeah. He hasn't. He injured him, of course. He injured him, but he hasn't got him out. No. And everyone's talking about this budding rivalry. You've got to take the guy's wicket yeah. if you're going to talk about a rivalry, right? Yeah, a rivalry would be he's going to be taking some wickets. Equally, Steve Smith's going to be hitting some centuries against him as well, which he has done. You're absolutely right to point that out. Steve Smith, though, I was just saying, and I know we spoke about this earlier on in the week on Off Script Extra Time, when we talk about sportsmen and women right at the very top, where they are just in a bubble that no one can get near them, Steve Smith right now, Khabib Nurmagomedov from the world of UFC and MMA, and Simone Biles from the world of gymnastics. I mean, she is she is doing things that have never been seen by a lady in gymnastics to the point they're naming maneuvers, moves after that youngster. They are the three right now. I can't think of another individual in all of sport that is dominating quite like those three right now. Rafa Nadal? No, no? not dominating because he was thrashed in the Australian Open by Novak Djokovic. He lost to Federer at Wimbledon. He's won two out of the four slams, but then so has Djokovic. So you haven't got a clear... Yeah. 
you haven't got a clear Someone men's that, number one. I mean, Steve Smith, your stats there, Arch, 125. He's the leading, he's the leading run scorer in Test this year, and he missed half the year because of his suspension. We missed a year because of suspension oh, to come back into the series. So insane. yeah, yeah. At, at this this moment in time, and he's the top, he's number one ranked uh, in, in the ICC rankings as well. Vasily so. Lomachenko. There's another one. Maybe Vasily still unbeaten. No, he's lost one. But yes, yeah, someone who right now there seems to be no answer to that conundrum of Vasily Lomachenko. If you can think of a sportsman or woman right now that has got no peer, I'd throw Amanda Nunes in there as well. Amanda the Nunes. UFC. I mean, unbeatable one. right now. From the world of and MMA. Not just unbeatable, but eviscerating her opponents in the first round. Lewis Hamilton? But not Charles for, Leclerc not for me because Yeah, no, not for me because he's not, he's not dominated entirely this season. Yeah, fair. It's just been another efficient season for Mercedes. Let us know. I mean, not to detract from what it... I find it very hard to give... Uh, this is, uh, is going to perhaps enrage a few Formula One fans, but I find it very hard with the amount that the machine has... Yeah to play in all this to give the credit where credit is due to the drivers and that comes even, back even to though the, that credit is warranted it comes back to the great argument of of, of we've had with does, does lewis hamilton get the credit he deserves at the very very pinnacle of formula one racing and, and, and drivers throughout their careers and his record probably not his record is phenomenal it's unbelievable he's closing in on michael schumacher's record of 92 formula one victories he's on five world titles he's within two of the great michael schumacher as well we will continue this debate still so much to get through between now and six o'clock when we come back we'll go round the houses and we're also heading to the oval because our very own richard dean is over at the oval all of that and much more to come stay with us you're listening to the grill more of the biggest sports stories now on dubai i 103.8 yeah, welcome back to the show just after 10 to 4 on your Saturday afternoon. It is myself, Chris McCarty, Robbie Greenfield, joined by Mark Archer. No, Tom Ucker, he will be back on your airwaves with the agenda. Of course, tomorrow he'll be back on the grill next Saturday. Before we head on over to the Oval, Richard Dean, our very own Richard Dean, is standing by. Mark Archer, there's been a big wicket in that cricket. Yeah, Nathan Lyons just picked up his second wicket for Australia. Joe Root, the English captain, has been out. He's caught by Steve Smith in the slips, bowled by Nathan Lyon for 21. He faced 26 deliveries, hit two boundaries. It means that England are now 87 for two. Their lead is 156. They still have eight wickets remaining and still in the driving seat, but it's an opening that uh, Australia desperately needed. Can they force it through the balls? The pitch is starting to turn a touch, which will help Lyon, the off-spinner, and they'll need to pick up a few more wickets. So Joe Dentley, 37, not out. He'll be joined at the crease shortly by Ben Stokes. One man who is there, and I'm envious of this man. It's our very own Richard Dean. He's got a freshly squeezed lemonade. He's at the Oval, and he joins us live now. Richard, a very good afternoon to you, my friend. Chris, hello, mate. I am jealous of you, so I am, Richard. Talk to us about the atmosphere over there, because we have just been talking about it all afternoon, Richard. This is dead and buried. Australia take the urn back regardless of the result. Is it a bit flat, or is the atmosphere a good one over there? You try telling anyone inside <laughs> the Kia Oval today that this is a dead rubber, and you will get a very different response. It is alive and kicking, Chris. The place is packed and there is an awful lot to play for. There's an Ashes series at stake here and everybody cares. I'm, I've got a cracking seat. I'm in the, the pavilion right behind the bowler's arm and Jason Gillespie has just been in to see us and say hello as part of his sponsorship duties and, and he was saying the same. This is not a dead rubber. Everybody wants to win this. Tim Payne, the Australian captain, is desperate to win this series. Joe Root, the England captain, is desperate not to lose this series. Every one of those 22 players wants to win this, no doubt. Did you do what any upstanding member of England's Barmy Army would do, Richard and heckle Jason Gillespie? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I would do, 
But a lot of people think he's going to be the next England coach. So you have to be a little bit polite and deferential. Because he coaches Sussex, of course, here in England. And he's coached Yorkshire before. So he spends a lot of his time in England. And he was saying, to be fair, as, as the coach of Sussex or Yorkshire, one of his jobs is to produce players for England. So I wouldn't say he's one of us, Robbie. But he's got a foot in both camps. <laughs> Richard Mark Archer here, mate. It looks as though England are firmly in the driving seat, 87 for two in their second innings. Quite a substantial lead, 156. What, what, what will be their plan today? Try and bat for most of the day and then basically set Australia a big target and try and knock them over on days four and five? Exactly. I mean, the most important thing I'm looking at, Arch, is, is the sky. And it is blue with a few white, wispy clouds. And you've played enough cricket in England to know that when the sun shines, the ball doesn't move, particularly here at the Oval. It, yes, it's quick and it's bouncy, but the ball doesn't do an awful lot. This is perfect batting conditions. Yeah, England, you know, they're 156 ahead at the moment. They've got eight wickets left. Ben Stokes has just uh, joined Joe Denley at the crease, and they look in a very, very commanding position. I haven't seen the wind predictor stats that we're all looking at a lot at the moment, but this is, this is England's game to lose very much at the moment. And Ben Stokes, we saw what he did at Headingley, Rich. Is he capable, do you think, of more heroics today? Well, he, you know, he's, he's, he's hot or cold, isn't he? He's, he's, he's never kind of in between. Um, magnificent match-winning centuries in the World Cup or indeed in, in the Ashes. And then the next moment, he's bowling sort of insipid, medium paces, wide outside off stop, uh, long hops, and, and getting out for 20 with reckless pull shots, as he did earlier on in this test match. So which Ben Stokes turns up today, I'm not entirely sure. But to be honest, England don't need a hero today. They needed a hero uh, last week. They needed a hero the week before. They just need sensible batting. If they bat out the day, they're going to have a lead of at least 300. And Australia are going to chase that down on a, on a wearing pitch. And we know Steve Smith is a run machine, but Joffre Archer has, has got his gander up at the moment. And him and, and Jack Leach bowling into the, the rough patches. If England have a lead of 250-300, it is a very, very tall order for Australia to, to chase that down, would you not think? Uh, absolutely. I'm with you completely on that one. No doubt about that, Rich. Talk to us about that little coach, the search for the new coach, because it's kind of dawned on me. You're absolutely spot on. Trevor Bayliss will move on regardless of what happens over the course of the next couple of days. He will be the England coach no more. You've mentioned Jason Gillespie there. Was he giving anything away? And maybe give us a bit of insight. What is the talk on the terraces as to who the Barmy Army and other fans want as England's new coach moving forward? Well, Jason Gillespie said he's not going to be it. Uh, he, he was in the running when Trevor Bayliss was appointed. He said, Andrew Strauss drove up to my house. He was living in Yorkshire at the time. We had a cup of coffee. We had a chat about it. Um, and he said, actually, he was never offered the job. He said, Strauss, he rang him up about uh, a week and a half later and said, Jason, we've decided to go in a different direction. Thanks very much. And Jason was perfectly happy with that. But he said this time he will categorically not be applying for the job of England cricket coach. So there's a, there's a vacancy there. I mean, there's no obvious candidate, is there? That, that stands out at the moment. Andrew Flintoff over the weekend has been saying one day he'd like to coach England. I don't think anyone is suggesting that he's ready for that. Now, you look at the county system, which coaches are, are standing out. Is that the route you go down? Or do you go for someone like Trevor Bayliss with proven international experience, regardless of their nationality? But I can't think of anyone who stands out at the moment. Can you? The other question, Rich, is of course surrounding Joe Root and his captaincy because Mitchell Johnson has been speaking in his media duties, saying there's an awful lot of pressure now on Joe Root continuing as England captain. Is it now time to just kind of accept that 
he's not been a particularly good captain and it might be worth considering if there's a better alternative out there. Well, I'll get on to that in a second, but, but first of all, the conversation we had with Jason Gillespie is who's going to be the next Australia captain. Yeah. The guy he mentioned was Travis Head, who was dropped for this test match, and Jason Gillespie was very, very annoyed that Travis Head was dropped because he thinks he's future captaincy material for Australia. He thinks that Steve Smith will take it again in March when his ban is, is up, but more long-term, Travis Head's the man he was looking at for Australia. Uh, for England, there's two or three people guaranteed their place in the team the only possible name is, is, is Ben Stokes. And to be honest, his off-the-field activities in recent years probably preclude him from being England captain just yet. Then one name that's been mentioned is Stuart Broad as an interim captain. But honestly, of the 11 players out there today, there's only two or three guaranteed place in the team. One of them is Joe Root. By default, it, it, it's impossible to see who else could take that from him at the moment. You make some very sage points, Richard. Listen, we're not going to keep you any longer from that glorious sunshine down at the Oval. Enjoy the rest of the cricket, and let's hope England do exactly what you say they should and bat sensibly throughout the day. <laughs> Robbie, Chris, I'll see you back in Dubai tomorrow. Top stuff. Thank you very much to the voice there of our very own Richard B. And there has indeed been a goal at Anfield and Robbie Greenfield. There was a little merry jig, a little Irish jig was done by Robbie. And it's safe to say that this man is in his fantasy football well, team. indeed, yes. And Liverpool are level. Uh, uh, yes, and that, that is the team that I support these days above all others. And it is that man, Sadio Mane, took a nice little pass from Andy Robertson. And rather like Willems in the first goal, fired beautifully into the top right-hand corner with an emphatic shot. So Sadio Mane has got the Reds level. It is 1-1 and Liverpool mounting pressure now. They are all over Newcastle. Newcastle camped inside their own half. We already saw suggestions of a foul inside the box um, and Newcastle hanging on at the moment, 1-1, but Liverpool now with their tails up. They certainly are. 29 minutes gone then at Anfield. It is Liverpool 1, Newcastle 1. The goals are flying in at the Bernabeu. I can tell you it's now Real Madrid 3, Levante 0. We'll go round the houses for you when we come back. One hour down, two to go. You're listening to The Grill live from Barasti. This is The Grill. Join the conversation. Text 4001 or message us for free on the Dubai Eye app. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.